blessed home. And each week has been very convicting for me as we've been going through this series on the truth about a blessed home. Uh, but we all ha- want to have a blessed home, don't we? Uh, but you know, it takes some work to get there. It takes work to get there. Uh, we saw that a blessed home is one that hungers for righteousness. And do we have a focus in our home for righteousness and the things of God? Uh, do we, uh, the things that we uh, do, or we have family devotions, do we pray together? Do we talk about God together? Uh, we've seen that a blessed home is one that is merciful. Boy, how important it is to have mercy in the home. Almost as important, more important at home than it is anywhere. Uh, because if we have a, 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 a bad home, we're going to lose our testimony everywhere else too. And so we need to have mercy in our home. We have been given mercy, and we're commanded to share that mercy and give that mercy to others. Uh, last week, we looked at the blessed home is one that is pure. Um, are the things that you choose to bring into your home pure uh, before God? And just a little bit of impurity makes the whole impure. It just takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. And so we need to be careful of that. Today, we're going to focus on verse number 9 of chapter 5, where the Bible says, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Uh, Would you read that with me uh, on verse number 9 there? Read it with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen. Well, how many here would like to have a peaceful home? Uh, Raise your hand. Good. I think everybody would like to have a peaceful home. It's a miserable to not have peace in the home. Even no matter what situation you're in, uh, if it's just you and your husband, if it's just you, uh, you still want to have peace in your home. And it depend, it's dependent upon how, what we bring to the home a lot of times. Uh, everyone would like to have a peaceful home. But many homes today aren't characterized by peace. They're characterized by things like conflict and turmoil. I believe every family has the one person in it that is just sometimes a difficult personality. Maybe it's not in your home, but a, uh, within your family. Uh, you, know, and you know what I mean. It's that troubled person, a difficult personality. Amen? And don't elbow the person next to you or look at them, okay? Uh, but raise your hand if you have that one family member, even in your extended family, that's that difficult personality. Raise your hand. Okay, I'm looking around. Okay, all right. If you didn't raise your hand, it might be said that, you know, I said every family has one, you know, and so maybe you're the one. I don't know. And uh, so, but no, I'm just kidding. But life is full of conflict. Okay, but uh, what, are we at, what are we known as? Uh, are we known, uh, are we instigating or perpetuating the conflict or are we ones trying to make peace? Uh, there are many challenging relationships, and I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but there are many challenging relationships, you know. Maybe it's your, your mom trying to tell you how to raise your kids and uh, trying to get involved. and Maybe it's your kids are always fighting with each other. Maybe it's teenagers believing their parents are too controlling. Uh, maybe it's the married uh, in, uh, being married into a blended family, yours, his, and ours. It presents challenges a lot of times. Uh, adults that can't forgive their mom and dad. Uh, you know, there's conflicts in many, many, many homes. How can we have peace when we face these kind of situations? And Jesus doesn't tell us, blessed are those who have peace. Uh, that would be pretty obvious. Amen? He didn't say that. No, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. The word peacemaker is a compound Greek word. It comes from two uh, two Greek words, maker 
Irene, excuse me, two words. Uh, Irene meaning peace, uh, the opposite of war and dissension. Uh, it means harmony, tranquility. Uh, and then maker is poeo, uh, and it means to make happen, to do or to produce. Okay, so it's the actual making of peace in the home. There's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers, too. I remember learning in my counseling training that peacekeepers avoid conflict to keep the peace. Let's just get along. Let's make a truce, right? But a peacemaker embraces the conflict to make peace, deals with the conflict, not just brushes it under the rug. Okay? My pastor, when we lived up in the mountains, was an incredibly kind and gracious man, Pastor Bud Hennessy, and a great influence on my life. And if he had heard of a conflict in the church or even in the community sometimes, he didn't even, he'd been there for so many years, the whole community knew him, and whether he was their pastor or not, he'd still go to them. And uh, he found out uh, something was going on. There was a conflict. He would drive out to get both parties, and uh, he'd get uh, both of them together, and he'd work it out <laughs> between them. Uh, it's known in the community, if you're going to have a fight with someone, don't make sure Pastor Bud doesn't hear about it, you know. And uh, down, down inside him, he just knew that it would tear a community apart, especially a church. Uh, he was an introvert. That's the funny thing, really, uh, until there was a conflict. Then he got very extroverted. Uh, but a Christian home is often a home where, we, uh, where, where they know there shouldn't be conflict. So we push it down, and we push it down, and we push it down until it just explodes. But a Christ-centered home embraces the conflict and works through the conflict with the help of the Prince of Peace. Remember our key thought that we've been saying almost every week when I remember? Uh, we're not just a Christian home. We're a Christ-centered home. Can we say that again together? We're not just a Christian home. We're a Christ-centered home. Sometimes if you go out and you talk about people, and you say, are you a Christian? The, uh, the most common answer, unless they're Muslim or Buddhist or something else, the most common answer is, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I'm American. It, we're a Christian nation, at least we were. And that had been the most common answer. And it has nothing to do with where you were born, amen? It has to do with who you know and who knows you. It's important to understand that a Christ-centered home is not a conflict-free conflict home. We just deal with the conflict like Christ tells us to do. But the spirit of being a peacemaker is seen later on in the Sermon on the Mount as well. Look down at verse number 38 through 47. I have it on the screen here as well if you need it. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemy, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and descendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? 
Do not even the publicans the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even as the publicans so? What special is it if you love the only the ones that love you? No, he says to love your enemies, love everyone. It's quite an ask that God's asking us, isn't it? It's quite of a big thing. But we're ask, he's asking us to be like him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he's expecting us to do the same. But nevertheless, as Christians, as disciples of Christ, we're called to bear our cross of acting the way that God expects us to act. Romans 12, 17 and 18 tells us, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. He says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as possible. Why? Because you can't control the other person. Amen? In fact, he goes on and says even more, As much as lieth in you, all of you, you live peaceably with all men. Verse 21 of that same chapter says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We're called to go the extra mile. We're called to deal with the conflict. We're called to love our enemy. Don't recompense or pay back evil for evil. As much as lieth in you, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. That includes our home as well. That includes our family members. The disciples of Christ have home have a home that are peacemakers. All right. So what do peacemakers do? What is it that makes us a peacemaker? What do we do? Number one, we tell the truth in love. We tell the truth in love, and the key thing is there is in love. Amen. Ephesians four fifteen tells us, but speaking the truth in love. May, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. When there is a conflict, we deal with it by telling the truth in love. There have been times when I've gone to one of my kids and talked about some things that are uncomfortable. And there have been times when my wife or even one of my kids have come and talked to me about something that I did or said that hurt them. We need to be willing and have the courage to tell the truth in love. Speak in love. I learned some principles a while back that helps us to do this. Number one, letter A, approach at non-conflict times. Approach the issue at non-conflict times. Don't argue, don't yell, don't deal with it when the heat of the moment. Wait until things have calmed down. Wait until the time when it's a non-conflict time, and then approach it. Galatians 6.1 tells us, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. <coughs> but he says, Consider, <coughs> excuse me, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There needs to be a time for you to consider yourself. There needs to make sure that your heart is right before you approach what's going on. And it says, in a spirit of meekness. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Okay? And it's controlling the strength that you could put forth in this conversation or this conflict, but you're controlling it and in meekness approaching it. Not in the heat of the moment. Not in fake patience. Now, listen, honey. Okay? 
Nothing's going to get you going faster than that, right? Or calm down, famous last words before the funeral. You know, no, a spirit of meekness, true meekness from the heart. Proverbs 15.1 sells us a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Now, again, you can have that fake soft answer, okay? You're boiling inside, but you're saying, no, I want to tell you this. They're just like, shut up, <laughs> you know? It doesn't help. It has to be real in your heart. You have to allow yourself to be able to be, give a true, soft answer. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Amen? If we act out in anger, nothing righteous is going to come of this. So approach during non-conflict times. Letter B, confront the issue, not the person. Confront the issue, not the person. Matthew 18, 15 tells us, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. He says, tell him his fault. The emphasis is on the issue, not the person. If you confront and attack the person, the defensive wall will go right up, and you won't be able to hear what's going on. Separate the people from the problem. You say, well, you're, you're always late. No. How about we say something like, you know, we need to be clear and agree on timing and stick to it so that we can really be productive here. You know, or just attack the problem itself. I, I hate it when you do this. Instead, say, well, you know, when you do this, when, when this is done, it makes me feel frustrated. So you never listen to me. The attack is on you. Instead, you will you know, when you don't listen to what I'm saying, I, I feel like you don't value me and what I'm saying. Or you always yell at me. You say, when, when you yell, I don't feel safe. You understand what I'm saying? We're attacking the problem, not the people. And we can go on and on, but confront the issue, not the person. So we have to tell the truth in love. And it has to be in love. And if you need to spend some time alone, and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to guide your words and guide your thoughts and guide your actions, do it. But address the issue, but tell the truth in love. Approach it in non-conflict times and confront the issue, not the person. Number two, apologize when wrong. Apologize when wrong. James 5.16 tells us, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. You want your home healed? then you're going to have to be willing to confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. He says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Be willing to admit it when you're wrong. Be quick to admit it when you're wrong. You know, that it, people that can't admit they're wrong are, are, are frustrating, and it doesn't help the situation. There are a few principles here as well. First of all, letter A, admit specific actions and attitudes. Admit specific actions and attitudes. Confess your faults one to another, but be specific. I shouldn't have raised my voice. Will you forgive me? I should have called when I knew I would be late. Will you forgive me? I interrupted you. Will you forgive me? I was insensitive because I didn't think how that would make you feel. Will you forgive me? Admit specific actions and attitudes. Letter B, 
Don't make excuses. Don't say, I'm sorry, but you... Well, you made me do this. Don't make excuses. I never would have yelled at you if you didn't yell at me first. Well, I didn't know that it would bother you for me to... Whatever the case may be. Don't make excuses. Admit specific actions and attitudes without excusing the behavior. Don't make excuses. Proverbs 24, 12 says, If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? Making excuses. Well, I, I didn't know. It's an excuse. Don't make an excuse. God knows the heart. He knows your deepest thoughts. You may fool your family member, although I doubt it. You may fool your family member, but you're not going to fool God. And he's going to hold you accountable. You're not going to have his help when you're making excuses. Proverbs 26, verses 12 and 13 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. He's making excuses for doing what he needs to do, to not do what he needs to do. My pastor, growing up, uh, used to say, any excuse is as good as another. He was talking specifically about going to church, and I can't go to church this week because, or whatever. He used to say, you might as well just say, there's a quarter of milk in the fridge. And you know, we say, what? what? What are you talking about? What does that matter? And he says, well, if I'm going to give you an excuse, one as good as another. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's just an excuse. Don't excuse the behavior. Just apologize. But, letter C, don't just say sorry. Don't just say sorry. Ask for their forgiveness. They say the three hardest things in the English language to say is, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And Worcestershire sauce. Whatever it is. It's hard to say. Well, not just the last one. But they're hard to say. I was wrong. I'm sorry. It's hard to say, but you have to do it. But don't just say sorry. Admit you were wrong specifically and ask for forgiveness. But don't just say I'm sorry and go on. Did you notice when I was talking about admitting specific actions and attitudes that I always ended with, will you forgive me? I heard a pastor recently say, that to say I'm sorry is for mistakes. Will you forgive me is for sin. Amen? That's pretty good. Saying sorry is for mistakes. I bump into say, oh, I'm sorry. That's acceptable. Okay? I go blast somebody, you know, and knock them off their feet on purpose. That's a sin. <laughs> I need to say, oh, will you forgive me? They probably won't at that moment, but still. No, if you sin against a family member, you need to ask for forgiveness specifically. Stepping on a child's favorite toy and breaking it is a mistake. You say, they should have put it away. Okay, but still, it was a mistake. Yelling at the child and saying, if you just pick up your toys, that wouldn't have happened. That's a sin. Instead, if we said, buddy, I, I shouldn't have yelled at you. But I, I said, what I said may have been a true statement. If it was put away, it probably wouldn't have got broken. That's true. But how I handled it was unloving. Will you forgive me? I've heard so many times, well, I, I, I can't apologize. They'll, they'll never respect me. Wrong. That's a lie from Satan himself. 
And the previous generations in the past have been taught this mentality that if you apologize, it makes you weak. If you say you're sorry, it makes you weak. But it's a lie from Satan. And many children have gone on to lose respect for their parents because they refused to say, I'm sorry. They will respect you all the more. It's a lie from Satan. We have to be careful not to allow that to happen. You know, I wonder, how, how many... I'm sorry, I have that in the wrong, wrong place. Uh, uh, peacemakers tell the truth in love. Peacemakers apologize when wrong. Uh, peacemakers, number three, forgive and let go. They forgive and they let go. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Then he says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He says, put it all away. Put the bad stuff away and choose to be kind. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking needs to be put away from you. Colossians 3.13 says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That word forbearing means to bear with, have patience with. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. We spent quite a few weeks talking about the truth of, about forgiveness. And if you didn't hear those sermons, I would highly recommend that you go onto YouTube or our website and find those sermons on forgiveness and listen to those. I don't think there's any matter that is more important for the Christian to truly understand than the matter of forgiveness. It will destroy more lives than any, just about any other thing in the world because it leads to so many other sins. We need to get this thing of forgiveness under control and in doing the right thing. And when you have forgiven, you need to let it go. You see, forgiveness is three commitments. To say, to say I have forgiven is a commitment to say, I commit to not dwell on it. I'm not going to think about it. When that thought comes up, you can't control what thoughts come into your mind most of the time. They pop in. You can control what you dwell on. When does it become lust? When the thought immediately comes into your mind? No. Lust is whenever you dwell on it and you desire it. What happens? What is it whenever unforgiveness happens? When the thought comes in that they hurt me? No. When you dwell on that thought and let it stew and make you angry and hurt all over again and everything else, it's a commitment. When I say I forgive you, I'm saying I commit to not dwell on it. Number two, it's a commitment to not bring it up and use it as a weapon. When I forgive you, I will not bring this up as a weapon against you. I won't ever again say, I commit to never again say, well, you remember when you did this? Okay. If that happens in your home, you need to forgive and you need to make this commitment to not bring it up and use it as a weapon. And the third commitment that it is, forgiveness, is I commit not to talk about it with other people. Oh, you wouldn't believe what my husband did. Oh, that's nothing. My husband did this. Okay? It's, it's not beneficial. Now, if you're seeking counsel about something with a pastor or with a, uh, somebody spiritual, that's different whenever you're dealing with an issue and getting help with forgiveness. But if you are talking to other people and friends and spreading it around just because it gets the, lets you vent, that's not helpful. 
It's a commitment. It's a commitment to not dwell on it. It's a commitment to not bring it up in an argument or use it as a weapon. It's a commitment to not talk about it with others. If you haven't done those three things, you have not forgiven. You're not going to, it'll pop back up. It's a continual thing. So you have to choose. I've already made that commitment. I'm going to keep up with that commitment. If you dwell on it, you haven't forgiven. If you can't, just can't forgive, they say, you know, people just say, I, I just can't forgive. No, the truth is you're choosing not to forgive. It's a choice. And so you're choosing not to do it. I've heard often, you just don't understand how I've been betrayed. You don't understand how I've been hurt. I had dealt with a, a family in California. And the hurt that they experienced was horrendous. Far beyond anything that I could have experienced. And I said, you just don't understand how we were betrayed by this person. And I had to tell him, you're right, I don't understand. But I do understand what God tells us to do. And I do understand what this is doing to your family. And I could see very clearly that bitterness is destroying you. I have a friend who confided in me who pretended to be my counselor. And then turned around and used that information in a business setting against me to get the way that he wanted some very private and personal details but I have chosen not to dwell on it every time I see that person and Facebook Instagram or things like that the thought comes into my mind he betrayed me and that hurt and I have to once again say no I have committed not to dwell on it I've committed not to use it against him I've committed not to talk about it and gossip with other people. I've chosen not to do that. When it comes to my mind, I have to choose to think about something else on purpose. I don't use it as a weapon. I don't talk about it. I've been hurt by church members, people I was trying to help. But you know, my dad used to tell me all the time, and whenever I surrendered to be a preacher, and whenever I got my first pastorate here, my dad told me, and when we were going through what we were going through in California as well, my dad told me many times, you can only help people to the extent that you're willing to be hurt by them. You can only help people to the extent that you're willing to be hurt by them. And if I, because I've been hurt, I close myself off and I hold all of you at arm's length and I say, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Okay, I'm going to go. You know, I never open my heart to you. I never choose to love you. I never choose to be open enough that you could shoot me with your arrows. I would never be able to help in any part of your life. You can only help people to the extent that you're willing to be hurt by them. Say, I just don't know if I can do that. Then start praying. Start praying that God will help you heal to the point where you can. If you don't dwell on it, but you bring it up in a fight, you haven't forgiven. Your sin is just as bad as theirs is. The king said to the servant who was forgiven much but didn't forgive someone much less of much less of what they owed. He told him, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave, ye, gave, forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? Oh, wicked servant, he called them. Far worse than what the other was being accused of. Jesus calls someone who is forgiven but refuses to forgive a wicked servant. 
I don't know what you've had to deal with. If you don't dwell on it, but you, uh, 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 then it will, it'll, I'm sorry, I started to repeat what I said earlier. Uh, but it, it, I don't know all that you had to deal with. Much, probably much larger and much hurtful than anything that I've had to deal with. It's very possible. I'm not always going to understand what you go through. But if you bring it to me and want help with it, I will, I will hear, I will listen, and I will pray. But I know someone who does understand. God understands. And he tells us, forgive, just as, you, just as he forgave you. No one has been betrayed like God has been betrayed. Repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. No one has been betrayed like God has. And yet he chose to forgive. You know, you'll never be more like Christ than when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. You're right, neither do you. And yet you were. These aren't trite answers. It's the truth. We don't deserve forgiveness either. And God tells us, you forgive as I have forgiven you. We're to be called peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When someone strikes us on the cheek, we turn the other cheek. When someone takes our coat, we give them our cloak also. We don't quit. We don't give up. We don't leave. We tell the truth in love. We apologize when we're wrong. We forgive and let it go. Amen? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a difficult thing. Everyone in this room has experienced hurt. So often the ones that we're closest to are the ones that will hurt us the most. I pray that you would help us, Father, to have the strength to be willing to do what's right. Not to push it under the rug and be a peacekeeper, but be a peacemaker. Actual make peace. Deal with the conflict. And when someone brings conflict to us, humble ourselves and be willing to hear and talk it through and deal with it. Tell the truth in love. Apologize when we were wrong and forgive and let go. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder how many will say today, I want to be a peacemaker in my home. Would you raise your hand? I want to be a peacemaker in my home. Thank you. Put your hands down. How many of you today in your family, there's been hurt? There's been betrayal. There's been brokenness. You say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I, don't, I won't ever know what it, is, I, uh, what it is. I'm not going to come to you to find out what it was. But you have experienced in your home hurt, betrayal, brokenness. You say, Pastor, would you please pray for my family? Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just help these that raise their hand today. Father, we desire to be peacemakers. We desire to have your blessings in our home. But we have to handle these things in the right way. Father, these that raise their hand that have had hurt, that have had brokenness. Father, I pray that you would do a healing work in their lives. Help them to be willing to make peace and deal with the hard things in order to have 
happiness and blessedness in their homes. Give them the courage to tell the truth in love. Not in anger, not in frustration, but in love. To see what that really means, the the list of 1 Corinthians 13, Lord. What love looks like and portray that in the truth that we tell. Help us to have the strength to apologize when we're wrong. Because it's the hardest thing to do in this world. Help us, Lord, to have the strength to forgive and let go. Father, I pray that you would help us to heal our relationships. Father, perhaps there's been brokenness and hurt in situations in home that the person has already gone. They've already gone to heaven and already passed away. I pray that you would bring healing to the hearts. Help them to be willing to open their hearts to forgiveness and be willing to do their part of what they can do. And may you bring healing to their hearts and lives. Oh, Father, I, do, I, I hunger for our homes of this church to be blessed homes. So when you bless our homes, you're going to bless the church. And we're going to be able to go forward and do the work that you have called us to do. I pray that you do a work, a mighty work in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing a verse of invitation. I hope that you'll deal with these things in your heart and lives. If you need to talk to me, please come and talk to me. And we'll schedule a time that you can talk, that we can talk together and kind of uh, talk about these issues. But uh, every home has situations. Every home. And sometimes we can deal with it, and sometimes we need a little bit of help, and that's okay. So I don't want you to know, because you know what? It, really, you, you, it doesn't matter, okay? I'm not going to talk about it with anyone else. It's just going to be between us. You say, well, I, I talk to someone else. That's fine. But get help. Amen. Get help. Let's sing a, a verse of invitation. There's room at the cross.